Yeah, woo, right on. He is risen. You guys nailed it. You got the pop quiz earlier. You showed up for the test, A plus. That's why we're here. That, that's, that's why this whole thing exists. It's not just why we're here today. It's, 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 it's why we get to wake up tomorrow. It's, it's why this building exists and buildings like it all over this community and all over the country and friends all over the world. There are people gathered together uh, every week because of this, Easter. And we go all out here. We do things differently. We don't always have balloons on the walls. Uh, if you're new here, it's really important to me that you know I don't always dress like this. I did not steal this look from my son. Uh, that is false. He lies sometimes to get a laugh. Um, but no, I don't always dress like this. Why do, we, why do we make such a big deal out of Easter here? Why, why celebrate like this? Why go crazy over this one day a year? Well, if it's true that... There was a man who said that he came from God. He predicted that he would die and come back to life, and then he did it. Well, that's, that's something that's worth talking about, right? That's something that's worth celebrating, especially if we get to be in some kind of relationship with this God-man, this representative of God on earth. If we get to like, call him friend and call him Lord and call him Savior because he predicted his own death and resurrection and then pulled it off, like... That's something worth celebrating, not just one day a year, but every day. But on this day, it's a good time to focus in and, and give Jesus his due. And so um, the resurrection happened. It absolutely happened. And it was somewhat unexpected to everyone involved except for Jesus, even though he told his disciples, hey, guys, uh, we're going to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me, and then I'm, I'm going to come back to life. It'll be okay. They didn't, they didn't compute with them. That didn't make any sense to them. And so they just sort of dismissed that as one of the strange sayings of Jesus that I don't understand. They put it in that category. And when he rose from the dead, it was a surprise. And I wonder if that wasn't a regret that the disciples had later on. I wonder if they didn't wish. I wonder if they didn't talk later. Guys, why weren't we, why weren't we at the tomb Sunday morning, like with balloons and confetti poppers and cake, just waiting for him to come out? Why weren't we standing there waiting? We should have been waiting. We should have been expecting it. I don't think they ever made that mistake again. I don't think they were ever again surprised that God could bring dead things to life. And friends, I think that's what's normal for us. As followers of Jesus, we've been talking about what's normal for Christians. I believe it's normal for Christians to expect God to bring dead things to life. We see so much death and destruction and pain and brokenness in our world, but we serve a God who has proven that death is not the end. And we should lean into it. We should expect the rise. Because the rise happened. It absolutely happened. Jesus, after he rose from the dead, Paul says that he appeared to more than 500 people. I think sometimes we think, well, there was a few guys and he showed up to them and then they tried to convince everybody else that this guy that publicly died is back to life. No, it was 500 or more people that saw the resurrected Jesus, interacted with him. Many of them ate meals with him. And then every one of these disciples went to their grave convinced that they saw Jesus die and they saw him resurrected and alive. Went to their deaths believing this. We don't go to our deaths. We don't carry convictions that would bring persecution and suffering and pain onto us unless we know it's real and it's true. And they died knowing 
that Jesus rose from the dead. And then, if that's not enough, we have 2,000 years of history, of Christianity, changing people's lives, billions of lives changed by this one historic event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, the apostle Paul says that our faith is completely useless. Like we're just, we're just fools walking around pretending unless Jesus really did come back from the dead. And if God could bring Jesus back from the dead, he can do the same for you and me. That's the, that's the whole point. That's what it's really all about, is to convince us that God is in the business of bringing dead things to life, that we should lean in, we should expect it, we should be standing at the edge of tombs and waiting for God to bring dead things to life. Because it happened, and the rise is still happening. It's happening all the time, all around us. In fact, last night, we got to witness two young men being baptized into Christ, saying, I want Jesus on the throne of my heart. Jesus is my king, and I want to serve him forever. And we got to see that new life happen right in front of us, right here, last night. It was awesome. God is doing this all the time. And I think it's important that we take some time today to understand what this means, that God brings dead things to life. And so we're going to look at a... a piece of scripture from a letter that the apostle Paul wrote. He traveled around and uh, started churches all over the Greek and Roman world. And then he would write letters to the people in these churches, helping them understand how to live. And uh, in one of these letters called Ephesians, Paul puts together a pretty clear explanation of the gospel. What does it mean um, that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead? So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter two and uh, start in, in verse one and see Paul's explanation here. Here's how he starts, super encouraging. You were dead. <laughs> Isn't that great? Guys, just in case you forgot where you came from, just in case you forgot what life was like without Jesus, let me remind you, you were dead. You might have been going around doing your job and, and, and having a family and you know all the things that, that you would call life, but all of that in the way that really matters most is really just death without Jesus. You were dead he says, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul says, you were dead, so was everybody. It's just kind of the way of the world since the fall. So the fall is what happened So God, in the beginning, God created heavens and the earth and the plants and the animals and the giraffes and the zebras and the crickets and mosquitoes. I believe maybe they were after the fall. I don't know. He created all of this. He put human beings right there made in his image and he looked at all of it and he said, it is good. It is very, very good. It, everything was just as God intended. He was on the throne. He was the one that got to decide what was right and wrong. He was the one that got to define human beings and say, I know who you are. You're my beloved child. I made you in my image. Everything was right. And then he gave them a choice. He put a tree in the garden called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, just don't, don't eat from that tree. It wasn't that God didn't want Adam and Eve to know the difference between good and evil. It was God wanted them to trust him to be the one to decide. But they wanted to decide. And don't we all want to decide for ourselves what's right and wrong? We want to define our own identity. So they ate from the tree and they opened the door to sin and death. 
And the prince, the person Paul calls the prince of the power of the air, which is the enemy of God, comes into the world with sin and death and wreaks havoc because he wants us dead. Jesus uh, talks about the enemy of God this way in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He doesn't want good things for you. He wants death and brokenness and pain for you. He, he wants you in the grave. This is, this is our grave for today. He wants you in the grave and he wants to dance on your grave. That's his goal. And he is currently the ruler of this world. The one who is influencing us to live, as Paul talks about here in this passage, to live as uh, living out the passions of our flesh and carrying out the desires of our mind and body. This is what the enemy wants because this is death. When we decide for ourselves what's good and bad, when we decide for ourselves how we should be defined, and then we decide for other people how they should be defined, he says, this is, this is just death. It may look like life. It has the appearance of it. But in every way that really matters, it's death. This is our state outside of Christ. And we can look around and see. You guys, you guys know the, the evidence of the prince of the power of the air ruling this world. We see it in the headlines every day, mass shootings and injustice and oppression and slavery and racism and war and homelessness and sex trafficking. We see it all over the place, the evidence of brokenness and death in our world. This is the state when human beings decide, I wanna be on the throne of my own heart. I wanna be the one who decides what's good and bad. I wanna be the one that identifies myself. There are a few different ways that this shows up uh, in our lives and in our world that I want us to focus on. Uh, number one is in our appetites. We, we have human nature, comes with appetites. And I say appetite, you think of food, which is, which is good. Food is good and we need food and food tastes good and I love it. But there are other appetites and the ones that are addressed by Jesus and the writers of the New Testament very frequently are our appetites for money, and power and sex. Those are the three things that the gospel writers talk about a lot. And they say these, these desires in and of themselves are not bad. But when we live out these desires with ourselves on the throne, with ourselves deciding what's good and bad, what's right and wrong, how we define ourselves, they bring death and destruction. And you know what this looks like physically. So when you have an appetite for food, you get hungry, what do you eat? If, if this is what you eat, we've got some lovely, we've got Sour Patch Kids and Bugles and Chewy Chips Ahoy, which is really the only cookie besides Oreo that you should ever buy in the grocery store, by the way. So we've got this stuff here, and I wanted to bring some ice cream out, but I'm told that if you let it sit, it melts. I've never let ice cream sit long enough to melt, so I didn't know that. Um, but like ice cream and all this stuff, if, if this is what we choose to satisfy our appetite for food, what is that gonna do to us? Well, first of all, it will be enjoyable for a moment, right? There's gonna be moments of pleasure eating this stuff, right? It tastes good. That's why these companies make money. If food, the food tastes good. But if this is what we eat all the time, every meal is like, I'm hungry. Let's get some more Sour Patch Kids. About halfway through that bag of Sour Patch Kids, what's gonna happen? Friends, I'm afraid that I actually know what will happen. I can tell you from personal experience, I'm really embarrassed to say that, but it does not do good things to your body, right? You pay for it. It makes you sick. And if you ate like this all the time, if I, if I ate ice cream as often as I want to eat ice cream, I would be an extremely unhealthy individual. It would destroy my body. 
And friends, when we pursue any of these appetites, our appetite for money and accumulating material possessions, our appetites for power, to have influence and authority and power over other people, or our appetites to satisfy our sexual desires, if we pursue that in ways that make us feel good, but are outside the bounds of what God created us for, they bring death and destruction. So we put these in the grave. These are no good. They go in the grave. We also have an issue with the way that we see the future, the way that we think about what's going to happen tomorrow and down the road. We can't see the future, can we? And we never have been able to, but some of us didn't know it until about a year ago when the pandemic hit and we realized, holy cow, we, we have no idea what is going on in the world and when is this gonna end? And how many times have you asked that question, when can we go back to normal? And we're still asking a year later because we can't see the future. And often what we do when we're on the throne of our own hearts, what we do when we can't see the future is we assume the worst. Our imagination takes over and we imagine all the horrible things that can happen. And fear creeps in and anxiety wells up and depression overwhelms. A quick Google search will tell you that anxiety and depression have been on the rise over the last year because we've come face to face with the reality that we can't see the future. And we're like people trying to shine a flashlight into the darkness, but a flashlight that doesn't have any batteries. And there's, I don't know what that was. Light bulb? See, it doesn't even have a bulb in it now. But we, we act like we can see and we act like we know and we act like it's all bad and it's out there to hurt us. And this anxiety and depression gets in our hearts and friends. You know the destruction it can cause. If you've experienced anxiety or depression or you're close to somebody who has, you know how painful it can be. You know what damage it can do? And it goes in the grave, it's death. It's broken anyway, so that didn't hurt it at all. We also experience this in our relationships with other people. We look at other people based on what they can do for us. This is the human default mode, is my relationships with others is based on what, what can you offer me? If you can offer me love and acceptance, then I'll connect with you. And if I don't think you care about me and you don't wanna offer me love and acceptance, then I'm putting you at arm's length. I don't wanna, I'm not gonna fool around with somebody that can't do anything for me. This is how we define other people, based on what they can do for us. Because if you're the king, then everything is about you, right? If you're the queen, everything is about you getting what you want out of the people around you. And guys, you, you've seen this build, put destruction into relationships. How many relationships get broken and end up dying because of selfishness? And like, I'm, I'm, I'm really only in this for what I can get out of you. And when you stop giving what I need, I'm out. How many times does that happen? over and over again, and it just brings death and destruction. And it's like we have this, we have this picture. It starts with our identity, our, our view of ourselves. When we see ourselves as king, we, we have this identity that we're gonna draw. God, I want to draw my own portrait. I wanna tell you who I am and what I look like. But the problem is we're terrible at that. And so we end up drawing something and it's like a stick figure. And God said, no, I created you for glory. And all we can come up with is a stick figure. So our view of ourselves is broken which breaks our view of everybody else, and we end up with death and destruction in our relationships. And it puts us in the grave. And the enemy, the enemy's having a good time with this. The enemy wants to steal and kill and destroy. He wants to dance on our graves. He's happy with all of this. But all of this, what I just talked about, you can find paths forward in this world that can help you grow in these areas outside of Christ. Like they, there are people that can teach you how to have better relationships, you know, that you, teach you how to do communication and conflict resolution. 
Um, there, there are people that can teach you how to discipline yourself so you're not controlled by your, your appetites, your desires. And uh, there are people that can help you deal with anxiety and depression. I don't think Jesus needed to die for those things. I think what, the reason why he died was for the bigger purpose, the bigger brokenness, and that is our relationship with God. See, God created us to be in a relationship with him where he is on the throne and he decides. He knows us best. He loves us. He wants what's best for us. And he gets to decide what's good and right. He gets to define who we are. And when we choose to reject his authority, say, I, I, I'm gonna do this. I don't, I don't trust you. I'm gonna do this myself. That relationship with him is broken and it's beyond anything that we can repair. We like to be in control, don't we? This, this is, some of you, this is like your best friend. It's like I get home from work and I, I didn't have control all day at work, but now I have control. I can watch what I wanna watch at the volume that I wanna watch it, right? That's my favorite part of this is the volumizer. I call it the volumizer. We want control of our lives. We want to say, I, I want to decide for myself when to start, when to stop, how loud to live. And it just brings death and destruction and it puts us in the grave. And the, and the enemy, the enemy loves it. So Paul starts off saying, hey, you were dead and the enemy is winning the day. But thankfully, he doesn't finish there. Thankfully, there is a verse four. And in verse four, this is how he starts. It's a great start. These two words, anytime you see these two words in the Bible, you're like, okay, I don't, whatever happened before doesn't matter. Something good is about to happen because this sentence starts with, but God. Whenever God decides to enter the scene, something good's about to happen. So here it is. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive. He made us alive. He didn't wait for us to get right. I think that so many people are standing outside the walls of a church building because I'm not good enough to go in there yet. And God is like, that, that has never been the plan. It's never been the plan for you to get good enough on your own. While you were dead in your trespasses, I came after you and made you alive. Together with Christ, we're, this is possible because Jesus went before us. We get to come out of the grave because Jesus came out of the grave. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. You could not do this for yourself, but God, because he loves you, did it for you. This is a direct attack against the enemy's desire to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus continues that sentence in John 10, 10. He said, the enemy came, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. God just doesn't just want us to go from being like not very good people to being pretty good people. He doesn't want us to go from being mean to being nice. He wants us to go from being dead to being alive. And that is very different. Jesus came to give us life and abundant life. And this life of peace and joy and purpose in Christ is only possible through him. God made us alive because he loves us. Jesus rescued us from things that we didn't think it was possible to come back from. Friends, I know that you have experienced brokenness in your life. I know that you've been alone 
and you've been lonely. I know there are people in this room that have experienced abuse. I know there are people who have experienced rejection, broken relationships, fear, anxiety, depression, and even death. And you think, how can we come back from that? We have a savior who experienced loneliness. He was rejected by his father. He was abused by the oppressors. And he died. And he came back. If Jesus can come back, then we trust that he can bring us back. And that's what Easter is all about, that we have a king now who, has, who sits on the throne and he says, for all who would come to me, if you'll let me sit on the throne of your life, then you get to expect dead things to be resurrected all the time around you. That's the kind of king I want. We found this little video that explains this a little better. Take a minute and watch this. No other king could vanquish the war horse or silence the warrior's rage while riding the lowly back of a donkey. No other king could break the dominion of darkness, the tyranny of evil, with a reign of grace and a kingdom of peace. No other king could give his life for the redemption of rebels, his wealth to welcome the outcast. Jesus is that king, the king of glory, son of the living God. Not just another king, not just another prophet, not just another teacher. He was the one the world had been waiting for. The one to deliver us from captivity, the son of David and Abraham's chosen seed. He is the goal of the Mosaic law, Yahweh in the flesh. He is the one to establish God's reign and rule, to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners, and proclaim good news to the poor. This Jesus was the creator come to earth and the beginning of a new creation. He embodied the covenant, fulfilled the commandments, and reversed the curse. This Jesus is the Christ that God spoke of to the serpent, the one prefigured to Noah in the flood, the one promised to Abraham, the one guaranteed to Moses before he died, the one promised to David during his reign, the one revealed to Isaiah as a suffering servant, the one predicted through the prophets and prepared for through John the Baptist. He is the Father's Son, Savior of the world, and substitute for our sins. More loving, more holy, and more wonderfully terrifying than we ever thought possible. He is our Jesus, and there is no other king like him. He is our God, our glory, our victorious Savior. There is no other king like him. There is no other king. We were created to live with one king on the throne of our hearts. Who deserves that spot? 
Jesus, he's the only one. He's the only one. And when we let him sit on that throne, we get to expect the rise. God is doing it all the time. When, when we think about our appetites that we talked about before and that it's part of human nature, these desires for, for money and power and to express our sexuality, these are all in us. But when Jesus is on the throne and we do it his way, then we get to use our resources to be generous and bless others. We get to use our power and influence to serve. And we get to express our sexuality in the, in the confines of a godly marriage. And all of that is, is restored and resurrected and lifted up when Jesus is on the throne. When we think about our future and our fear of what could happen, that is restored and brought back to life when we trust that that God holds the future in his hand and he loves you. Like if you believe that God is in control and he loves you, you put those two things together, we don't have anything to fear, right? The future has no hold over us. He restores our relationships with each other by helping us see each other the way that God sees them. If I could see you the way that God sees you, I would never treat you with disrespect or dishonor because God created you in his image with infinite dignity and value and worth. And if I see that and I treat you like that, we'll never have a problem. And he restores our relationship with him. This is the foundation. This is the bridge that allows everything else to cross over from death to life, is our relationship with God is restored. The wages of sin is death. And someone had to pay that death, and so Jesus did it for us so that we can experience the gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, right? And he is leading us into a new creation. So the rise is happening and the rise will happen. Jesus is leading us into a new creation, a place where, you remember how things were in the beginning when God created plants and animals and people and he looked and said, everything is good. Everything was good because God was the one who was deciding for us what's good and right, who we are. That is coming back. Jesus is bringing us into a new creation where the kingdom of heaven has complete reign, where in this new creation, every human being in the new creation is one who says, Jesus, I want you on the throne of my heart. I tried it. I tried being the one to decide for myself what's right and wrong, and I failed. We stink at this. We need you. When we decide, we live in a world where the headlines are horrific. When he decides, we get to experience the kingdom of peace and joy and purpose. And friends, you are invited into this. You are invited to be a part of this kingdom expanding. This is how Paul ends this passage, Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. He wraps it up this way. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What are the good works that we are created for? I believe that what God is doing in the world is bringing dead things to life. And I believe this indicates we're invited to do it with him. That God wants those of us who have chosen to put Jesus on the throne, we get to be a part of him bringing dead things to life. Broken people, we get to be a part of them being restored through Christ. People who are lost and far from God, we get to be a part. We get to stand at the graves with confetti poppers and balloons and cake because we expect the rise. We expect that God is gonna bring dead things to life and we wait for it and we look for it and we watch for it and we can't wait. And then when it happens, he gets all the glory because we are not the ones who bring dead things to life. He is. It's his specialty. And he does it in you all the time. 
We are new creations. We're not just people that used to be sort of selfish, and now that we're Christians, we're a little less selfish. We're people who used to be dead, and now we're alive. Paul says in, first, in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old, gone. The new has come. That's who you are. That's how we get to live and express our, the peace and joy and purpose that he's put in us every single day to the people around us. So friends, it's difficult. And I know that if you're living this life and you, you feel like I'm not doing a very good job of that, hey, that's normal. It's hard. But God has put his spirit in us so that we can be a part of making all things new. This is how he says it in Revelation 21. He who sits on the throne says, behold, I am making all things new. There's a new creation coming. You're a part of that. He is remaking you every single day. Whatever you did yesterday that you're ashamed of, he can remake and bring back to life tomorrow. We just gotta keep him on the throne and he will do that in us. And friends, I believe he wants to do it through us. I wish there was a symbol. We've had all these symbols of the the dead things. I wish there was a symbol that could show that God's spirit is in us and it draws us up and it gives us hope and peace. There probably is. Let's see if we can find it. Oh, there it is. Jesus, when he enters our grave, he brings out new life. He doesn't bring out just nicer people. He brings out something brand new that is filled with his spirit that draws us to Christ and fills us with hope for the future and peace in our relationship with God. That's what the balloons represent. And I would love for you to take a balloon with you. Before you leave today, feel free to grab one. There's some in the hallways too. Just as a reminder that God is in the business of bringing dead things to life and we as followers of Jesus get to expect it. We get to lean into it. We get to stand at the doors of the graves with balloons and confetti poppers and cake and wait for God to do his stuff. He wants you to be a part of it. So today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if Jesus is not on the throne of your heart, I would just ask you to consider how's that going? Like, is that working out really well for you to be the one to decide what's right and wrong for you and define yourself and define other people? Or is there, is there a chance that there's a better king for your heart than you? And if you've already made that choice and you've put Jesus on the throne, then you know, you know there's no other king. And you get to be a part. And I, I want us to be looking with eyes wide open for people that are experiencing brokenness and pain and death and just to get a front row seat to what God can do bringing those dead things to life. You're invited. You're adopted. You're redeemed. And we're here to do some work. Let's bring this before God as we close. Father, thank you. Thank you for the resurrection of Jesus. And the proof that you are in the business of bringing dead things to life, the confidence that you can do it in us and even through us. God, sometimes it's, it's hard to let go of control. But we know that when we do, your way is just better. It restores the things in us that were broken. And there's no other king we'd rather have on the throne. And I pray that you would in us make us new every day. And through us, you would help us to see others around us be brought to new life in Christ. And God, we pray that all over this community, there would be people whose lives are transformed by the gospel that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Do that in us and through us, we pray in Christ's name, amen.